This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on Football CFB by a very successful businessman, the majority shareholder of Plymouth Argyle, and a man who is an Argyle fan first and foremost, Simon Hallett. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure, Callum. Good morning. The the first thing I want to start with, Simon, um, before we come to your involvement with the club directly, when did your love of Argyle begin? Because it's a massive football club. Um, it began in 1966 when my family moved to Plymouth um, just before the World Cup in June 1966. So I saw my first Argyle game in, I think, September that year and was have been a fan ever since. So just over 54 years. Uh, I'm a great believer that you support your local club. And um, although I went to a rugby playing school and played sports most Wednesday and Saturday afternoons, I went to Argyle home games whenever I could and to the occasional away game as well over the, over the next few years. In terms of Argyle, is there a particular player that you remember first and foremost as a sort of hero when you were growing up and going to the games? Uh, my favourite player was always Johnny Hoare. He was the number four and I always wanted to be a, a, a kind of wing half, as we called him, called number fours in those days halfback. Um, Johnny was uh, kind of a bit of a terrier. He was a very uh, capable footballer, but not terribly tall, uh, but aggressive, could score the occasional goal, worked hard. And uh, I'm delighted that I've actually met him a couple of times in the last four years. And he's just as nice as he was a good footballer. He was my favourite player, Johnny Hall. When, when you're going to the games for a number of years, Plymouth, just like Plymouth Argyle, just like so many other clubs have had ups, they've had downs. What would you say are the ups that you remember most fondly over your, your time period as a supporter? It's funny, I, I, in general, I have a very poor memory. And um, the ups that I remember, I remember the Mariner Rafferty years. Um, part of those years were when I was uh, away at university and got to go to a couple of games. Um, but there weren't many ups in those, in those, those years, um, you know, until... Uh, only a few years ago, 20 years ago, Argyle was one of the few clubs in the four division football league that had never been in either the top division or the bottom division. So being an Argyle fan for since its inception was a kind of rather dull existence. Since then, of course, we've um, hit the depths of administration and very near, um, came very close to exiting the EFL. Um, but it, there haven't been too many highs. So for me, the biggest high so far has been um, the um, playoff semi-final when we won with a 94th minute goal from Peter Hartley to send us to Wembley. So it was my first trip to the new Wembley and my second trip to Wembley ever. So that, 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 that's much more recent, but I think in all these years of supporting Argyle, that was the most wonderful moment. Supporting Argyle and going to Wembley, just like as for so many clubs in the in the football league, must be an incredible moment because stereotypically you associate Wembley with maybe Manchester United and Arsenal. But when yeah. you go there as an Argyle supporter, just sum up how special a moment that is. Oh, it was an extraordinary. It wasn't a moment. It was the entire day. 
you know, because we went, we drove up, my family hired a minibus and, you know, whatever it was, 15 of us drove up and you're going up the M4 and, uh, you know, you're constantly being surrounded by green scarves, waving, people cheering, you know, it was an extraordinary uh, kind of social occasion when driving on the M4. And, you know, just, just to put it in context, Argyle took 35,000 fans to Wembley. Um, you know, so it, it was a remarkable day. I think it was it was marred by two things. Firstly, um, as a new director, I didn't realize that I had to be in the, um, the kind of prawn sandwich with the prawn sandwich brigade. And it was it was kind of nice to meet other people and to meet my fellow directors. But I think I would have rather have been out on the terraces to soak in the atmosphere. There's not much atmosphere in this kind of corporate style entertainment, even at Wembley. Um, but you know, to walk out from there and see the ground filling with Argyle fans was very special. You clearly have passion for the club as a supporter. Did you ever foresee a moment where you would become involved in the club as an investor or a director? No, not at all. Um, not until four and a half years ago when, actually nearly five years ago, I was chatting, chatting to a partner of mine, business colleague, um, on the way back from playing we were playing some sports in New York and he was, he was he's an American but a soccer fan and I was talking about Argyle and you know, we were talking about sports ownership. He said, why don't you buy, go and buy a stake in Argyle? It, it never occurred to me, frankly. So through a friend of a friend who was on the Argyle board, um, a friend of mine was still in touch with, with him. I kind of, I phoned up and said, is there anything I can do for you? You know, I don't know anything about football apart from as a fan, but I've got some money and I've got some business experience. And, you know, they said, fine, you can have, you can have a quarter of the club and join the board. So I did. The previous owner, James Brent was, um, you know, was the guy who saved Argyle um, from, you know, effective oblivion. Um, But although he's an Argyle fan now, he was not uh, uh, an Argyle fan at the time, and he was quite keen to get more Argyle fans on the board, especially some who had a bit of money. But my original plan was only to be a minority shareholder and a non-executive director. And um, as things went on, as we had more financial needs and none of the other directors were in a position to put more money in, after we converted a whole bunch of loans to pay for the refurbishment of the grandstand, um, I was the one who said, okay, well, I'll, I'll put some more money in. So as I put more money in, I gradually became a bigger shareholder until James said, uh, James Brent said that he would prefer to step down. So I, at that point, brought him out and became chairman. In terms so, of... My, sorry, my point is that it's been a rather gradual process. It was not something that I set out, I set out to achieve. It's been much greater involvement than I thought was going to be the case. You mentioned that gradual involvement that leads to you becoming the majority shareholder. With yourself having a family of Argyle fans, how did they react when you gradually got involved in the club? Because I imagine that's something that that they would be very proud of as well. Um, They're kind of Argyle fans. They've all been to games. They kind of, they wear green scarves and silly hats at Christmas and, and so on. And they follow Argyle and they're delighted to be involved. I think they're very proud of what we've achieved in the last couple of years. But they're not kind of passionate Argyle fans in the same way I am. They're kind of interested, I think it's fair to say. And my extended family, my sister, my, my brother-in-law is on the board, John Morgan, and his family are also interested in Argyle. And they 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 um they live either in Plymouth, Mid Devon or Bristol. And they they go along and watch Argyle 
from time to time. And actually, my nephew, Jack, uh, actually works at Argyle in the academy. So we're fans, but not, not, not as uh, long-standing as I am. And in terms of majority shareholding of a football club, before we come to the COVID situation that's affected all clubs, regardless of their, their stature, what are the, the challenges of running a club day-to-day that fans maybe aren't fully aware of? Because you know what it's like, Simon, a lot of fans think of the club as, I go on the, a Saturday, I cheer them on, and in the transfer window, they've maybe get four targets yeah. they want. But as you know, it's much more complicated than that. It's much more complicated than that. In fact, it's actually, I think a football club is a very complex business. And I mean, complex, not just complicated. But first, let me just backtrack a little. I don't run the club on a day-to-day basis. I'm non-executive chairman. It's very clear who's running the club on a day-to-day basis. It's Andrew Parkinson, our outstanding CEO, who joined us two years ago um, on a special project to complete the refurbishment of the grandstand and then, and then uh, became CEO in May, May last year. So Andrew runs the club on a day-to-day basis. I'm non-executive chairman. Um, we are very much a uh, football club with good corporate governance. We, are, we pride ourselves on our transparency, uh, but it's a board um, whose job is to hire the CEO, assess the CEO, and then let him get on with it. And you know, make, make sure that the club is run on behalf of its stakeholders, which is you know, partly shareholders, which is mostly me but also on behalf of you know, our staff and the community that we are so deeply embedded in. So Andrew runs it on a day-to-day basis. The basic problem with running a football club, as I say, is that it's complicated and that makes it complex and you have very few resources. So you know, Argyle's um, revenues are set, you know, in a normal year, they'd be somewhere between seven and nine million pounds, but we're running a, um, a match day experience for call it two dozen games a year at which a quarter of a million people come. Um, we have to maintain data on those. We have to make sure that that data is compliant with EU regulations. Uh, we, we're running hospitality on uh, a match day. We're running a retail store that turns over about a million pounds. You know, we're, we're running um, a media operation that is active in social media, produces a program, produces content for our web page. It's, it's a whole series of um, what in many cases would be independent businesses that are mashed together into a football club, which also, of course, has an associated community trust, which employs, you know, as many, I believe it employs more people in public health in Plymouth and the region than the Plymouth City Council does. So the organization is a very, very complex one, but with very few revenues. Um, so you're constantly battling against this kind of complexity of running the overall uh, operations or business. It is, to some extent, it's a business. It's not a real business, but um, it, it, let's call it an operation. But uh, like a lot, of, uh, a lot of businesses of that complexity, if something goes wrong or there are resource constraints, can just throw money at it. And football clubs you know, never make any money um, on a consistent basis. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any football club in the world that um, maybe with the exception of Manchester United that has actually paid dividends to its shareholders. I think actually, I think Spurs did once, but you know, it's not a normal business. It's resource constrained and yet it's very complex, very compl- complicated. One of the reasons I was desperate to get you on the show, um, even before you went on Price of Football, but particularly when you spoke about 
the development of the grandstand and how how that's really helped the club sweat the assets and that's a, a phrase <laughs> yes. that you and I both know Simon that when fans yeah. hear that they sometimes think oh no what does that entirely mean but the way you explained it to, to Kieran on Price of Football was was fantastic you mentioned the limited uh, revenue streams that certain football clubs can have because they're hosting say 26 matches per year yeah. and that's it whereas for Argyle with the, the grandstand redevelopment Obviously, before COVID, you were hosting events seven days a week, which can only benefit the football club and the community in the long run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So sweating your assets, you know, it's just like people. When people work hard, they sweat. When your assets work hard, they generate you money, and we call that sweating your assets. It's, it's very straightforward. You know, as, as you're hinting, uh, this, um, this grandstand that we have um, is our uh, biggest asset in the stadium. The stadium itself cost us two million pounds when we bought it back from the council um, uh, three or four years ago. And it's only used for a couple of dozen home games a year that generates revenue or hi historically that's been the case with football fans. So our job is to make, for Argyle's sake, our job is to make the stadium a center of uh, you know, entertainment, but based around sports throughout the year and that will do two things firstly it will provide an asset for the um, uh, area the area is short of uh, conferencing banqueting facilities there, there are some good ones but they're not of the kind of four to five hundred people scale that we can do at Argyle with the exception of course of the Exeter Chiefs the rugby club there's no European champions in Exeter so we, we, we're doing this partly to provide an asset for the, for the uh, city of Plymouth and the surrounding area for, to help the Southwest grow economically rather more than it has done over previous decades. Um, but for Argyle itself, it means that we can generate revenues throughout the week, which of course can in turn be used to uh, develop further the infrastructure that we have at Argyle. We have, for example, um, uh, two training pitches, two grass training pitches, which we've invested in quite heavily over the last four or five years. They're very good quality, but they have very few facilities around them. You know, there are no changing rooms or anything like that. So that, you know, the players get changed in the stadium, walk over to the um, uh, training fields. That, that, that's a very simple example. We'd like to invest more in our academy. Um, we've already um, done a deal with our community trust who built a quite extensive facility for the city. Um, uh, close to Home Park, where some of our academy teams can now play. We've made arrangements with Plymouth, Plymouth Parkway, a local non-EFL club, um, a very well-run non-EFL club, I should say. And we have a close relationship with them that gives us access to their pitches. So, you know, we're building relationships that will enable us to uh, replicate the kind of infrastructure that we'd like to have on our own. But having that kind of infrastructure takes money and we want to use the money that we can generate from the stadium to invest in that kind of infrastructure, as well, of course, as enabling us to spend money on uh, a good first team squad that will enable us to be competitive initially, at least in League One. In terms of the, the infrastructure and striving for sustainability, the sweating of assets, is that something that you feel football has probably fingers crossed learned from from the pandemic in the sense that the days of two dozen games at home just simply can't cut it anymore for clubs outside maybe a, a Manchester United or a, or a Tottenham 
Well, Manchester United sweat their assets, you know, and the top clubs sweat their assets, but they sweat their brand assets. You know, when you think of the uh, money they make from, uh, you know, replica shirts that they make from media, that's because of their brand. And excuse me, <laughs> you know, that's also something that we're trying to do at Argo. We're trying to build up our intangible assets. And I think we've been pretty successful in that over the last couple of years. Um, I think COVID, like many of the aspects of this global pandemic, has accelerated trends that were already in existence. You know, clubs have always been resource constrained because any money that comes in, whether it be recurrent or one-off, goes into the first team. So there's nothing left over at the end of the year. And COVID has obviously meant that we've continued to have substantial costs because we've been putting on football matches behind closed doors without, without fans, without being able to sell tickets. But um, our revenues have uh, shrunk dramatically. Um, and that, that's not just Fargo, of course, that's all, all football clubs. So COVID, I think, has accelerated the recognition for football clubs that to compete effectively, you've got to build up your revenue base. You've got to have access to greater resources. So I think what we're doing, it's not, it's not unique in um, football. It's certainly not even unique in the lower leagues. And as I said, we have an excellent model in the Exeter Chiefs who've gone in less than, less than 15 years, I think, from a uh, I think third tier rugby club to being European champions today um, on the basis that they had an excellent hospitality conferencing of, of greater scale, I should say, than the one that we've just put in. And they, they use those resources to invest uh, along with um, a very successful academy to invest in a, the infrastructure behind a first team squad and in the first team squad it, itself. So I, th I think they're a fantastic example. It's not just in football that you can look for examples. Sorry, but just to get back to your question, I think my main point is that COVID has made it more urgent, but like many, many things with COVID and the global pandemic at large, it's accelerated trends that were just beginning to be, uh, that were just beginning already, I think. In terms of Argyle, the word that's used so often with the football club is potential. You think of the catchment area that the club has. You think of the passionate fan base. You've talked about building up the the brand as well. It's it's a club that that can sell lots of shirts given the catchment area. It can attract fans uh, of of a substantial amount given given League One at level. With that potential. Um, how do you feel when that word is mentioned? Because it's something that, that crops up an awful lot. Uh, it makes me very nervous. You know, Argyle has tremendous potential. Argyle's a sleeping giant and all, so on and so on. Um, I, I remember hearing Barry Hearn on a podcast a few years ago saying that potential is the most dangerous word in football. And I, I haven't been an investor in Argyle because I believe that, you know, we have the potential to you know, have 60, 70,000 fans. Part of the problem with football in the Southwest is that it's a rugby area. Um, and access to home park for match day is actually quite difficult. The transport infrastructure in the far Southwest is poor. Um, the, the number of major roads is limited and it's, it's tough getting around country lanes. One of the attractions of Devon is that it's a very rural. I think it may even be the least sparsely Oh, sorry, the most sparsely populated county in the country. So, you know, getting to one of those few major roads can take you 35, 45 minutes. So, you know, we, we have fans who will travel an hour and a half, two hours to come to a game. But the people who are prepared to do that 
unless they are absolutely certain that the experience at home part makes it worthwhile is going to be limited. So I think we can expand our fan, fan base. We have people who are interested in Argyle, as we know from four years ago when we took 35,000 to Wembley. So those are 35,000 people that I want to see coming to at least a few games every year. Our core fan base, as you say, is passionate. It's uh, very loyal, but we need to build around that. And I think that this is one of the problems with football that um, core passionate fans tend to look askance at the slightly more casual fans. But I'm afraid that that I think is the future. And that's the direction we've been going at Argyle that we've uh, invested reasonably heavily in the match day experience. We've tidied up the, um, the grandstand. We've refurbished at great expense the, um, the Mayflower grandstand, our main grandstand. But we've, we've spent money around, around the stadium. But what we're trying to do is make Home Park a place where, you know, you come at 11 o'clock in the morning, you come at noon, there's entertainment, there's food and drink, and you stay afterwards. So, you know, you, it's not just traveling an hour or two hours even to come for a 90 minute football game. It's to come to Home Park for a great day out um, in the company of fellow, fellow Argyle, Argyle fans. Uh, we're making progress, or we were making progress until COVID hit. And you know, that really comes back to Andrew Parkinson. So Andrew, Andrew came to us, his previous job was at Anfield, where he was chief operating officer. And before that, he was in consumer oriented um, infrastructure management, let me call it, you know, managing um, shopping centers, consumer oriented malls and so on. Uh, malls, malls? What is it? I get confused. Um, and this is this is actually a very, very important point. because We talked a bit about money and the need, need to generate resources to invest in the infrastructure. But another place where we've invested has been in human capital. So you can't see it on the balance sheet. Um, but we've we although we are a club with quite significant revenues, those revenues come at a cost. Um, you know, Andrew would be a good example. We think he's a fantastic CEO. Uh, I think he's worth more than more than we pay him. Don't tell him that. Um, but you know, he he's, he doesn't come cheap, and neither should he. Um, but what what we what was really really clear to us when we played at Liverpool in the FA Cup about two years ago, two years ago, um, you know, the it was the it, it, you know, the grandstand was fantastic, the stadium was superb, you know, wonderful food. But, you know, you go, the stadium is a buzz outside with activity. There's entertainment for the fans. And, you know, I particularly remember just how nice the stewards were. And none of that costs money. You know, that is, um, that, that generates resources. It generates fan loyalty. It generates buzz. It generates attendance at the ground and ultimately will generate revenues. But it also, you know, made it a fantastic match day experience for us. And you know, if you're a Liverpool fan, you get that you get that every every uh, home game. And th that that's our goal at Argyle to make to make coming to Home Park a really really attractive day out for not just the passionate fans, but for families who are looking looking to uh, be entertained on a Saturday afternoon. And you know, I was delighted that we were chosen as Family Club of the Year in the EFL last year. A fantastic achievement and, and one that I'm sure you will continue to, to replicate in the in the years ahead. To, to come so. to come to the, the here and now, um 
Simon, you've got a manager in, in Ryan Lowe who I particularly rate. I think he's a progressive young manager. And there was a behind-the-scenes um, documentary that was on Sky, one of the, the title sponsors for, for the league. And I thought Ryan came across very well. He clearly knows what he wants to achieve. The players clearly respect him and, and vice versa. But when he arrived at the club, he arrived at Argyle when, when the club were in the fourth tier, which is a particularly challenging division, as you and I both know. He'd, he'd been promoted with Buddy, and obviously um, the, the situation um, unfolded there out with his control, of course. When when you uh, appointed him, um, was it what he achieved at Buddy that was the, the, the main the main attraction or was it just when you spoke to him himself because as I say he always comes across as a man who knows exactly what he wants to achieve um he he does know what he wants to achieve he's very he's very ambitious he's young he's fairly inexperienced um yes we were impressed by the results at Bury but it was a fairly short time period it was actually the I mean I remember it very well it was the day of the interview we we had I think four interviews that day and he 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 was the last he came in with Steve Schumacher and he just blew us away he and Steve just blew us away they were organized they were prepared they were disciplined they had a process I'm in the investment business and I'm a great believer in structure discipline and process over individual genius um, you know, I think we employ really good people. I think we employ good people at Argar, but structure, discipline and process is what helps you make good decisions when times are tough. So we had a list of criteria for Ryan. Um, we had two or three people who matched that criteria, but criteria. But what really blew us away was their approach. It was, as I say, it was structured and disciplined and that's continued. So Ryan uh, can be emotional. Um, you know, we see that in his reaction with the fans. He's turned out to be much, much better with fans than we thought he would. He, he looks like a, a guy who actually enjoys his interaction with the fans. Um, so, um, you know, when, when we think about how we wanted him, we wanted a guy who was prepared to play attacking football. And <laughs> we certainly play attacking football. Goals scored last year were amongst the league leaders. Same this year. We're not so good at stopping them going in at the moment. but. Uh, We've got that. Um, he's been. He, he's he's a man who knows what he wants. But one one thing he also wants is to learn. And I'm a guy who doesn't know much about football. But the one thing that we've made clear to Ryan and to anybody at the club is that we are going to be a club that's going to be run smartly. Um, and runs being run smartly means using data analytics. Um, it means being flexible, being prepared to learn about your decision making. And we, we have that in Brian. So one of the things that I was most nervous about was about the embrace of data analytics. You know, we know from past experience that when clubs want to uh, make better use of data, this, this story goes back to the original Moneyball story written by Michael Lewis in 2000, 2001. The big problem that Billy Bean had at the Oakland A's when he wanted to become more objective in their decision making was that he had to he had to deal with scouts, with baseball people who, you know, preferred the old fashioned gut instinct way. And what's been really, really pleasing at Argyle has been that under the leadership of Neil Dusnet, who's our director of football and runs our academy, um, the football people have embraced data analytics in a way that I think is going to help us compete dramatically over the next 
the next four or five years. It's not going to be immediate. So the great thing about Ryan is that he knows what he wants, but what Ryan wants is to succeed. And he will look at anything, anything that he thinks is going to help him succeed. And so I've, I've been, I've been frankly a little relieved because I've, I've said, look, this is non-negotiable. This is the only thing that I know will work. Uh, I live in a world clouded by uncertainty, but this is the only ray of sunshine that uh, <laughs> is certain. So this is non-negotiable. Argyle is going to become an increasingly data-driven club uh, under, under my ownership. And we are making tremendous strides in that direction that I'm just thrilled about. And I think that that's something about Ryan that is, is not quite so well known, that his hunger to be successful is not uh, based upon what he knows now, but it's based upon what he's going to learn. What's he, what he's learned in the last year or two and what he's going to learn in the next couple of years. So he, he's been really, really um, effective at Argyle, I think. And um, uh, I think um, actually the last, coming to the more recent times, I think, you know, in many ways, we, we've had a very challenging time at Argyle. We've just taken four points from our last two games. But before that, we lost six games in a row. And that was the first period in which... Um, Ryan has really been tested in his managerial career. Um, and, you know, the fans were starting to get um, uh, a bit antsy. There's, you know, saying he doesn't know what he's doing. And, um, uh, you know, I think we came through it. Um, I mean, it was testing, but he came through it extraordinarily well. And uh, I, I couldn't be happier about um, the way he's handled himself in good times and in difficult times. And it's great to have... It's a silly thing to say, but it's been good, I think, that uh, we've had testing times this season uh, when the pandemic has made everything rather difficult anyway. You've got a progressive young manager, clearly a, a progressive club as well. Um, you've talked about the importance of, of data analytics, which is crucial in football and becomes even more crucial, especially um, as you look at some of the elite clubs across across the globe as well. The last question I've got for you, Simon, quite a, a simple and basic question to finish. Um, with the, the investment you've got in the club um, financially and obviously the invest, investment you've got emotionally, what are you like when you watch the games, whether that's at home park or when you're watching from afar? Uh, I, I mean, at home park, I'm a wreck. I mean, I fidget, I kind of, I, I, and this is a big difference. I used to enjoy watching Argyle. I really don't enjoy it very much anymore. Um, uh, so I, I'm a bit of a wreck. My wife, who had no interest in football before Argyle and is now a passionate Argyle fan, she won't even watch. She's um, notorious amongst the fans for saying she's going to go and hide behind the sofa, but but she's not literally hiding behind the sofa, but she absolutely will not watch. And I'm a bit like that. One of, one of the great joys of the last um, of this season has been that I'm watching like many fans on iFollow, um, but we've set up Zoom parties. So we now get groups of fans, um, not, not, not many, we get about a dozen in a watch party in the UK and about a dozen who turn up regularly in a watch party in the US. And that's been, that's helped ease the pressure. There are other fans and I, I'm there as a fan, not, not as, not as chairman. They, they're, they're pretty good about not asking me questions. They know they shouldn't um, ask. Um, not, not that there's actually, <laughs> one of the things about Argyle is that we're crazily transparent these days. So if they ask me anything, I do tend to tell them. Um, but it's been great. It's taken some of the pressure off. It's like sitting in the grandstand with a bunch of mates 
and um, it, it's eased the pressure. But I, I, I don't like watching games anymore. It's too stressful. A fascinating insight from start to finish, Simon. Thank you so much for your time. And, and I wish you and Argyle all the very best because the one thing that is clear to see before this interview and even from it for me, from my perspective, is it's a club that is incredibly proud of its community. It's incredibly proud yeah, of the so. direction it's got as a football club. And to use the, the dreaded P word, it's got lots of potential that I'm sure under your ownership will be fulfilled. So thank you for your time. Thanks for your interest, Callum. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our 